Amen. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 24 through 27. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. So Jesus says here, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know, we started talking uh, several weeks ago. Actually, uh, it was eight weeks ago. And uh, we did a teaching. It was called Being Storm Ready. And the idea of it was about checking up on our foundations and making sure our foundations are secure so that we can work off of the uh, foundations in our life. Uh, you know, to be prepared and ready and to be storm ready, that's something we should understand. We live through storms all the time. You know, and when there's a major storm coming, you look at your foundations, your security in the house, the roofing. You look at your windows. You look at the things that would hold your home together, wouldn't you? Isn't that right? You know, you don't uh, go check your TV. That doesn't hold your home together. You check the things that are going to hold your home together. Well, it's the same thing in life. If there's storms coming to you in life, you want to check out the things that hold your life together. Isn't that right? You know, and storms come to us all. And right here, what Jesus said is proof of it. You know, whether you, when you hear the word and you're a doer of the word, storms come. When you're a hearer of the word and, a doer, and not a doer of the word, storms come. The only difference is whether your life holds together. And I don't mean you continue to breathe. Or you continue to exist. I'm talking about life. Your life holds together. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Well, we have to be storm ready in or when, when those things happen. And we have to be ready before the storms come. Uh, so we started talking about foundations and the elementary principles of the Christ. And growing into maturity, because as a mature Christian, you have to take responsibility. Isn't that right? So a child in a storm doesn't know any better. You know, kids have good times in storms. They, they don't know any difference, you know. But the mature person prepares and works not only to be ready for the storm, but he works through the storm. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's just really important. Foundations. Proverbs 22, 28 is a very, very important statement made here along with the rest of the Bible. But here in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight, he says, do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. You know, boundaries are for a purpose. You know, boundaries can be something that keeps one in. Boundaries can be something that keeps one out. But boundaries are important. And when boundaries are set, they should not be moved. Psalm 74, 17. It says, you have established all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So God has established the boundaries of the earth. He said it. And the boundaries that he said has produced seasons. Right? And, you know, he says in Genesis, as long as the earth remains, uh, uh, winter and, and, and summer shall not cease. The, 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 the seasons will not cease because he set the boundaries. Proverbs 8, verse 29. Proverbs 8, 29. It says, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. All right, talking about the sea, the foundations or the boundaries have been set. Boundaries are for protection. Right? Boundaries set things in motion, and those things cannot move out of the boundaries. That even if the sea should come over the seawall, it will go back again. It cannot transgress those boundaries. Amen? Yeah. So boundaries are very important. So with that in mind, go to Romans chapter 8. And let's read verse 5 and 6. Romans chapter 8, 
verses 5 and 6. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. So he's talking here actually about a boundary for our thoughts. The boundary for our thoughts will depend on what results we want in life. You, 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 it, when we walk in the bound, we're going to walk in the boundaries of the flesh or the spirit. That's what we do. There is no other way. You're either walking in the, the boundaries of the flesh or you're walking in the boundaries of the spirit. The set boundaries that are not moved, they cannot be moved. These are set boundaries. This is the flesh. This is the spirit. If you move over here, you're within that boundaries. If you move over here, you're within those boundaries and the boundaries cannot be moved. The boundaries have purpose and the boundaries will produce results. Isn't that right? You can't move the boundaries of the spirit over to the realm of the flesh and think you're going to get spirit results. You can't think you're going to get the things of the life and peace if you're walking in the things of death. You can't get the results of the spirit if you're walking, thinking, and talking by the way of the flesh. Simple. Simple. You just have to do it. If you're a hearer and you're not a doer, the storms are still going to come and your life is not going to be in good shape. Amen. God set the boundaries and they can't be moved. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, whether it be to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. If it's sowing to the spirit, you will reap from the spirit. Choose ye this day and you ought to choose tomorrow too and every day. You can't expect the results of God in your life when you're not walking, thinking, talking the way God wants you to. You can't expect God results when you're gossiping. You can't expect God results when you're lying. You can't expect God results when you're doing the things that go against the things of God. You can't expect God results when you're walking in the deeds of the flesh. And you're never too old to walk in the deeds of the flesh. Just want you to know that. Boundaries are a part of the principles of God and the elementary teachings of God. In fact, go over to Proverbs chapter 3. And let's read verse 19 and 20. Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. Now, I know that comes across a little bit strong, but you know, your flesh, as arrogant as it is, wants its way. And you have to stand up to that thing. And if you don't stand up to that thing, you'll never stand up to the devil. (laughs) Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding it established the heavens. And by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. Talking about the earth, the heavens and the deep. The earth, the heavens and the deep are not the foundational things. Oh, but he founded the earth, established the heavens. The deep was broken up. Still not the foundational things. What's the foundational things? Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. This is the foundational thing. This is the foundation of your life in the things of God. Wisdom, uh, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So it would be good if we define what these things are. Because you can't find this in Webster. Webster will not define this to you in a godly definition. They'll only define it to you in man's manner of thinking. Wisdom. Wisdom means to be personified. God is wisdom. The Bible says that God pulled from himself wisdom. The wisdom of God was manifested in the creation of the earth. By wisdom, he founded the earth. The wisdom of him manifested the creation of the earth. In Job 28, it tells you that you can get, learn, uh, you can get wisdom through various forms of learning. Learning the word of God is attaining wisdom. 
sitting here and hearing the word of God, you're retaining wisdom. But then there's understanding. By understanding, he established the heavens. The word understanding means to have insight. It is superior to the mere gathering of data. This is not the gathering of data. Understanding is not the gathering of data. It is necessary to know how to use knowledge one possesses. Understanding is a gift of God, and it does not come automatically. Now, here you go. Here is the point that needs to be made. The possession of understanding. It requires a persistent diligence. It is more than IQ. This is not IQ. I don't care what your IQ is. You can have a 300 IQ and be a moron in the things of God. You can be a moron in the things of the world and have a 300 IQ in the things of God. You're either a fool to God or you're a fool to the world. You got to choose what kind of fool you're going to be. I choose to be a fool for God. I'll take the 300 IQ in the kingdom and a 25 in the world. Are you with me? The possession of understanding requires a persistent diligence. What does the Bible say about wisdom? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all of your getting, get understanding. Because without understanding, what you hear in that word means nothing. What you hear in that word, that, that word might, just, might as well just be printed words on a page. It means nothing without understanding. Insight, revelation. Are you with me? With wisdom is the principal thing. The gathering of the data is the principal thing. You got to get you got to get the data. That's what the word of God is. It's the data. But then in all of your getting, get understanding, godly insight into the use of the data. Amen. And then there's knowledge. Knowledge describes technical or specific knowledge to work the understanding of wisdom. A technical or specific knowledge to work the understanding of wisdom. So I get wisdom and then I get revelation of it. But knowledge is the specific knowledge of how to work this in my life. Are you with me? It also means to know by experience or encounter. All right. So you go to school as a kid and you earn that 100 minus 50 equals 50. One person got it. <laughs> 50 times 2 equals 100. 100 divided by 2 is, and 50 plus 50 is, you have wisdom. See that? You have wisdom. You got the data. But understanding is to learn these principles and realize how they work in life. You go to the market and you buy something for 50 cents. You give them $1, and knowledge tells you 25 cents is not the right amount of change. Are you with me? Now, some people would say, well, you know, that, that's pretty obvious. I mean, everybody knows that. But what about when it comes to the things of God? Where, there's no, where, where there is no oxen, the stable is clean. But much income comes by way of the oxen. Well, that has nothing to do with me. I'm not a farmer. See, you have no idea. Lost as a goose in the fog. You know why? Because you never did the required persistent diligence to get revelation. So that means nothing to you. Are you with me? If you can't apply the wisdom to life through understanding, then you don't have knowledge. Although you think you know it because you've gathered the data. Big deal. I'm glad you got the data. Step, welcome to step one. But then comes the revelation and the application. So knowing the wisdom, knowing the wisdom, knowing the data is not knowledge. Are you with me? The application of the wisdom through understanding is knowledge. Wisdom is the principal thing. And in all of your, of your getting of wisdom, get 
understanding. Because without those, you have no knowledge. Amen. So, understanding is to learn the principles and realize they can work in life. This is why we don't spend time, most of the time, we're not going to do a teaching on anxiety and a teaching on depression and a teaching on uh, addiction and a teaching on uh, uh, something, other, something else that you might deal with and have 50,000 teachings about all the things that humans might have to encounter. It's principles. And if you don't spend your time meditating on the principles of the word, you won't know how to deal with anxiety. You won't know how to deal with depression. You won't know how to deal with addictions. You won't know how to deal with the situations going on in your marriage. You don't know how to deal with your family. You don't know any of that if you didn't spend time in the principles. Because we can lay out everything for you on how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with depression, how to deal with everything, and you're working in the flesh. And you'll say, this stuff don't work. Because you didn't meditate on it. You got no revelation. You just took data. And you tried to work it in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. God dealt with the earth by wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You deal with your life by wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. By wisdom, by the data, by the blueprint, the plan for building the house is laid out. So, now you got a plan. Now what do you do? Well, understanding now establishes the plan and prepares all the necessary items. What good is it to say, well, I know we're going to need walls, we're going to need a foundation, we're going to need plumbing, we're going to need a roof, and never do anything to prepare to have that stuff there to build the house. Understanding prepares. It establishes the plan and says, this is the plan, so let's prepare all the necessary items. And then knowledge works the plan and uses all the necessary items received by perceived understanding and carries out the wisdom to its final manifestation all the way, not just building the house, but filling the rooms with all precious and pleasant riches. Everything starts with, works off of, and comes to completion because of foundations. There's foundations in the kingdom of God. It's called the word of God. The word of God is the foundation. There are foundations in marriage. Jesus said, uh, it was said from the beginning that God had uh, created man and woman. And he put them together, man and woman. He put them together. And he says, what God joined together, let no man put asunder. He said, what God joined together. He didn't say who. He said, what? He's not talking about your marriage. He's talking about the institution of marriage is between man and woman. And when you say it's a man and a man or a woman or a woman, and I don't know what I am with and I don't know what you are, you put it asunder. And you bring a curse on yourself. Because of the foundation. From the beginning, God said, man and woman, join together and become one. Don't put it asunder. Finances have a, finan- uh, a foundation. Give and it's given back. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. What's the foundation of your finances increasing? Giving. Your health. Your health has foundations. He bore your sicknesses and diseases, anxieties, calamities, carried your pain and your sorrow, and by his stripes you were healed. It has a foundation there. He's already done it. Isn't that right? Your nation has a foundation. A founda- this nation has been founded on godly principles. The founding fathers set the principles set by God that they should not be moved. And it says that the boundaries set by your fathers should not be moved. Isn't that right? So I want to read something to you. It's a little bit long. Okay, it's long. But I think it'll help you 
And I just want to say this right off the top. This is not about conservativeness and liberalism. It's not about the GOP, the RNC, or the DNC. It's about our nation. I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, a Libertarian. You ought to love your nation. This is about your nation and your nation that needs to be where it needs to be. So let me just read this to you because it's about the Supreme Court. It says, over the last two years, the Supreme Court's new 6-3 majority has delivered a string of victories unprecedented in the modern era. At the conclusion of its most recent term, the court handed down a series of landmark decisions, most notably in Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus President and Fellows of Harvard College and Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated v. University of North Carolina, which ruled that affirmative action in college admissions is unconstitutional. A long-time goal of the legal movement and a significant blow to identity politics apparatus. In 303 Creative LLC v. Alinas, the court decided a landmark religious liberty ruling determining that a Christian website designer could not be compelled to violate her sincerely held religious beliefs by creating a website for a same-sex marriage. And on the final day of the court's most recent term, the justices ruled against the Biden administration's illegal student debt forgiveness scheme, saving the American taxpayer hundreds of billions of dollars. Public opinion rests squarely on the side of the majority in believing that merit and not race should not be the leading factor in college admissions, that forced speech is inherently un-American, and that college graduates should pay their own debts. Prior to its series of victories in 23, one of the court's most notable decisions came on June 24th, 22, when a 5-4 majority overturned Roe versus Wade in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. In a historic victory for unborn children, the rule of law and judicial independence, Dobbs declared that there is no constitutional right to abortion, uh, returning the issue to the people and their elected representatives in the state uh, legislatures and Congress. You know, it is amazing how they continue to yell, it's a right, it's a right, and abortion is a right. It's not a right. They just made it up. You're not going to find it in any documents that it's a right. In another major conservative victory last year, the court ruled last summer in Kennedy versus uh, Bremerton School District that a public high school football coach has a right to play, has a right to pray on the field after games, a significant rebuke of the left's long-standing efforts to expel faith from the American public square. Respect for religious expressions in indisp- is indispensable to life in a free and diverse republic, Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote for the majority. You know, you've got to understand about this religious freedom here. Christians are pushing for religious freedoms, and we understand that, right? But you have to understand that if you're pushing for religious freedom, then the satanic church has the same freedoms. So you better prepare to be an Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. In Carson versus Mackin, another, another legal win, the court ruled that funds from Maine State Tuition Assistance Program could be allotted to secondary schools that provide religious instruction, a triumph for First Amendment protection of religious freedom and school choice proponents. In, in 22, the court also issued a staunch defense of Second Amendment freedoms in New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Here, the justices ruled that Americans have a constitutional right to carry guns for self-defense outside the home, invalidating a New York law that prevented citizens from doing so, absent a proper cause. So New York said you can carry a gun only if you have a proper cause. The exercise of other constitutional rights does not require individuals to demonstrate to government officials some special need. The Second Amendment right to carry arms in public for self-defense is no different, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote for the majority. So that for there, you don't need some special need or special exemption to carry a gun. It's the Second Amendment. 
To understand how historic the court's past few terms have been, it's helpful to look back at the history of the court and how we got to this moment. Don't you ever wonder how we got here? I mean, you look around and you go, how screwball are these courts? How do they make these decisions? This is how. America's founding fathers saw the Supreme Court as essential to the survival of the rule of law. Described by Alexander Hamilton as the least dangerous branch of government, the frame is hoped that the court would interpret the Constitution neither through force nor will, but instead through judgment. One of the court's earliest and most consequential decisions, Marbury versus Madison, reaffirmed both the independence of the court from the other branches of government and the court's role as an interpreter of the law. As then, Justice, uh, as then Chief Justice John Marshall wrote for the majority, it is emphatically the providence and duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. Unfortunately, it did not take long for the court to drift away from its constitutionally prescribed role. In one of the most egregious examples of judicial overreach in American history under Chief Justice Roger Taney, the court ruled in the notorious Dred Scott decision that black Americans were ineligible for U.S. citizenship and the rights it entailed. In addition to being immoral, Dred Scott was an unconstitutional attempt to maintain social and political harmony. Though it was later nullified by the ratification of the 13th and 14th Amendments, the decision left a devastating mark on American jurisprudence. Over the course of the next century, activism gained new life with the ascendancy of progressive President Woodrow Wilson. And a few decades later, with the 1953 appointment of Earl Warren as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Warren saw himself not as a guardian of the Constitution or objective interpreter of the law, but as a social activist tasked with moving the country in a progressive direction. Warren's tenure on the court paved the way for a far-left legal activism which empowered future liberal, liberal justices to flout the Constitution and strike down laws that they found personally objectionable on dubious legal grounds. Described by scholars as revolutionary, the philosophy of the Warren Court has had a monumental effect on how Americans perceive the law and how the judiciary sees the lawmaking powers of Congress. It was Warren's jurisprudence, for instance, that empowered the court to invent constitutional rights to abortion in Roe versus Wade and a laundry list of other social transformation projects, even though such rights had no basis in the law itself. So the idea is if we say it long enough, you'll believe it. And most people have no idea what the Constitution even says. And the younger they are, the less they know. And they're not taught it in school. You ought to get yourself a little pocket Constitution and teach it to your kids. The progressive legal theory championed by Warren, as well as left-wing justices like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor, 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 often goes by the name of living constitutionalism. This is important, living constitutionalism, which suggests that the definition of the Constitution and written legal statutes should change with the times or with whatever ideology is fashionable at any given moment. A living constitution. The philosophy of living constitutionalism even empowered former Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was appointed by President Reagan, to cast the deciding vote in 15 case uh, Obergefell versus Hodges, which forbade states from enacting laws that define marriage as a union between one man and one woman. As Justice Antonin Scalia observed in his famous dissent, Kennedy's decision was based on the mystical af aphorisms of the fortune cookie. In other words, he opened the fortune cookie and said, well, this is what I believe. The opposing legal theory to living constitu uh, constitu constitutionalism has been the jurisprudence mythology of originalism 
which argues that the Constitution should be interpreted as it was written and read in the light of what it meant at the time of its ratification. Originalism was brought into the mainstream by Justice Antonin Scalia and has since become the dominant legal theory on the right. See, when they used to talk about we're looking for judges that are uh, constitutional judges, I used to think, aren't they all? Yeah, no, no. It's what they say is the Constitution. They make stuff up. Making laws and casting political judgments, Scalia maintained it was not the duty of a judge, but rather the duty of the American people through their elected representatives in Congress. Originalism says that when you consult the text, you give it the meaning it had when it was adopted, not some later modern meaning, Scalia said. It is the rock to which the republic is anchored, he explained on another occasion. If the Constitution does not speak to a matter, it's for the democratic process to provide an answer. In other words, the Constitution is not a living document, and it is not a vehicle for the court to arbitrarily impose its own political will on the American public. Prior to Trump's election, Justices Thomas and Alito were the only reliable originalists sitting on the high court, and living constitutionalism was the driving force behind the court's legal interpretation. But that all changed with Trump's three, uh, three appointments of Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett, who handed constitutional originalists their first ever court majority. The court's current 6-3 appointed majority has served as the main bulwark against the Biden administration's brazen political and social overreaches and issued a series of landmark decisions. In the years ahead, the court is almost certain to add to its impressive repertoire of conservative legal wins. And should the Republican nominee win the presidency in 24, the court's current 6-3 appointed majority could continue to grow. Selah. The importance of foundations. Doesn't matter what you're working in, what you're involved in, what part of life Foundations are important. The importance, just from that article, you can see the importance of not moving the boundaries. Not moving the boundaries in the kingdom of God, not moving the boundaries in a constitutional society. We're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic. If we are excited and cheer over the things we just heard and how things have changed and gotten good, and we cheer about the, the court returning to its foundations of the nations, and we cheer about the, the wonderful uh, 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 decisions that they have come to over the last couple of years, then how much more, how much more should we be determined that the foundations and boundaries that are set by the word of God would not be moved in our own personal life or in our society as it has moved before. And it starts with right here. It don't start by me going after them. It starts with me going after me and making sure about my foundations and that I'm living and doing the things that I need to be doing, that the foundations are firm. Amen. And you can't ignore the things we just read. You can't ignore those things as though they're not important. You are part of the body of Christ. You're on the earth, and Jesus told you to occupy until he comes. Isn't that right? Yes. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. I hope you enjoyed that. It's good to know things are moving in the right direction. It says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Foundations are being moved and have been being moved in our nation, in our society. They've moved subtly. They've moved unnoticed unless you have paid close attention. And it takes focus and it takes close attention because the devil is subtle. If you think the devil's going to come out and go, boo, 
He's not going to do that. He's going to sneak in and you don't even know it. Comes in unnoticed. Isn't that right? Because he gets us to accept a little bit of change. Just a little bit of change. Oh, this oh, this is be okay. It's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. And he gets you to accept that then as normal. Now, when you accept that as normal, then he comes along with another little change. Oh, it's just a little bit. Ain't no big deal. Come on. This is okay. You know you want to anyway. You know if you just lie to them, it'll keep you out of trouble. Yeah, right. Oh, he gets you to accept that. Just a little change. Just a little bit. And before you know it, you're so far down off the road, down off course. But I'm only off course about one degree. So let me read this to you. If you're off course by only one degree, then in 100 yards, you're going to be off course by 5.2 feet. If you're only starting off course in one degree, then within one mile, you will be off course by 92.2 feet. If you're going from San Francisco to Los Angeles, which is in the same state, and you started one course off, then you're going to wind up six miles off course. If you're trying to get from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and you started one degree off course, you're going to wind up 42 and a half miles away in Boston. If you travel around the globe from D.C. and you want to come back to D.C. but you started one degree off, you're going to miss D.C. by 435 miles. Oh, I'm sorry, before you missed D.C. and you wound up on the other side of Baltimore at 42 miles. But now you would wind up in Boston at 435 miles. If you're in a rocket ship going to the moon and you only started off by one degree, you would miss the moon by 4,169 miles. And if you were going to the sun, you'd miss the sun by 1.6 million miles. If you were traveling to the nearest star and you were off by one degree when you started, you would be off course by 441 billion miles. But it's just one degree. It ain't no big deal. It's okay. He ticked me off. I had to tell him off. It's just a little bit. Just one degree. We were down at Habitat yesterday. And, uh, huh? We were down at Habitat yesterday. <laughs> And there was something there that Pastor Nid found that she really wanted for the church. Church needed it. But the guy said, I haven't fully tested it yet, and you need to wait till Thursday to come pick it up. So she's like, okay, Thursday morning, I will be here at 8.30, and when your doors open, I'm going to be the first one in there to get it. Because, you know, people show up early, and they grab stuff, and you don't get it. All right. 9 o'clock this morning. A ring-a-ding-ding. They call the, they have our phone number, the office phone number. They call up. We've decided to sell it today. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. Well, Pastor Nid's out with the car. She's tied up. And other things were going on. And now I've got to work my way to get over there because I want to get there before anybody else gets there because this thing's like new and it's in good shape. And anybody would buy it. So I'm going over there. And as I'm going over there, this is what's going on in my head. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't hold. I, and I said to him, if I give you my credit card, can you, can you just, no, I can't hold it for you. It's first come, first serve. You got to, can, can't you take my number? You know I want this. No, I'm sorry, we can't do that. I'm like, ooh, ooh. So I get in Pastor Yuan's car, I start heading on over there, and I, my mind's just, you know, wait till I get there. I'll tell you what, somebody buys that, I'm gonna, they're going to be sorry if somebody buys that and I don't get there in time because they're going to really hear about it. You know, this is going on and on and on and on in my head. And then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you doing? 
you know. And then I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to look to you. This thing has to be there when I get there. You're the one that supplies my needs. You rebuke the devourer for my sake. I'm a tither. This is not, this is not going to get stolen. And then the Lord, you know, you know, you know how he is. He's like, you know, you had an appointment this morning and that was canceled. So you're free now to go get it. And also, even though Nid's gone with the car, you do have a car you can use so you can get there. I'm like, yes, yes, that's true. And this all happened before the phone call came. So I was in position for it. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> I repented, you know. And then, but you know, you, you know how that flesh is. But I want to tell them off. I want to just, you know, and it's like, shut up. And I just started talking about we don't fight against flesh and blood. I submit to God. I resist the devil. This is going to be there. This is, got, this is Nid's heart's desire. And this is going to be there because this is what she wants for the church. And I just started thinking about those things and rehearsing those things instead of the stuff that was running around in my head. Because you can't afford to be one degree off. So you get it? I did get it. It was there. Yes, I did. I walked in and they said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're able to get it. And I felt like screaming, no, no help to you, you know. <laughs> but they did call. I mean, they had the courtesy to call and say, it is available if you want it right now. So, you know, if that's all that they could do, that is what they did. And everything was well. But, you know, you had to come to realize this is a big deal. This is a big deal. The way you're reacting, the way you're responding, the way you're thinking, this is a big deal. You cannot go down this road. Are you with me? The devil is very subtle. And those thoughts seem like very normal. They seem like these ought to be the thoughts you have about this situation. <laughs> See, he knows pretty much that you know what the Word of God says. So he's not going to come with some big major shift. Like, you know, oh, you ought to leave that church and go down to the satanic church downtown. You know, he's, he's not going to come with some big major shift of something. You know, it's the little, little subtle things that he gets you to accept as normal and then just move you one degree at a time. And that's what he does. He, he works at you making just a minor drift, not a minor shift. Just a minor drift, a minor drift, a minor drift. And before you know it, we're 441 billion miles off course. Better to be off by five feet and get back on course before it's too late. So I don't know if you can get back to 441 billion miles. I just don't know. You might run out of fuel. <laughs> Are you with me? What is the restraining force on the earth? The church. The church is the restraining force. So if the church is the restraining force on the earth, then we, as the church, myself included, in the whole body of Christ, have not been much of a force. We haven't been. You know why? Because the devil's gotten us to accept things to get us off course. Now, we might have some stuff going on in our own personal life. Maybe we believe in God. Maybe we have some things working. But I'm talking about Jesus told us to occupy, being the restraining force on the earth. The enemy has greatly advanced, greatly. The movement of boundaries, foundations, elementary things by society has even crept into the church. The church has taken on the same spirit of the world, which is the spirit of Antichrist, changing the word to fit societal changes. As society changes, the church wants to change the word so that it'll fit in with people and make people more acceptable. No, you're not making people more acceptable. You're making sin more acceptable. 
And that is what's making the church powerless. It's called sin in the camp. The word of God is a living word. But unlike the living constitution, the word is a living word because it's personified. It's a person. It is God. The word of God is God himself. It is the word made flesh. The word of God is not a living word because it moves with societal changes. Societal changes has absolutely nothing to do with the word of God. All societal changes does is shows how far away from the word it's moving and how much into sin it's diving into. That's all that it's doing. Amen. Amen. Matthew 13. Verses 10 and 11. And, you know, we don't go out to people and point our finger at them. And, you, you know, you tell people you're a sinner, you're going to hell like they don't know that. You know, you could have told me before I got saved, you're a sinner, you're on your way to hell. I'm like, no kidding. I'm going to go see my buddies. I'm going to go see my friends. There's no big deal. God had no revelation of hell or the devil or anybody else. So just the word hell just really didn't mean much to me. So you could have told me you're going to hell. I'm like, yeah. What's your point? You know, that's the way I was. I just didn't mean, didn't mean anything to me. But it's loving people. You love the people. You don't love their sin. You love the people. People are worth loving. God loved you even when you were dead in sin. Isn't that right? Amen. Matthew 13, 10 and 11. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So he spoke to the people in parables, but it was granted to the believers because at this point the disciples believed in Jesus. So it was granted to the believers to know. Now, to know. Okay, to know the mysteries. To know doesn't mean that a mystery, it's a mystery and it's unable to be known. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about it's a mystery until you get revelation. The things of God are a mystery until you get revelation. Not till you get wisdom. Not until you get the data. It's not about collecting data. It's the revelation of it. Until you get the revelation of it. It's been given to the believers to be able to get revelation. It, this is the kind of knowledge when he says it's been granted to you to know. This kind of knowledge is only to know through revelation. You gather the data of the wisdom. You get the understanding of revelation, which then creates a knowledge of application. Right? So this, he says, it's been granted to you to know the mysteries well, when did that knowledge come to these disciples? Any guesses? When they got filled with the Holy Ghost. They started speaking in tongues. And that's what opens up the dwell of revelation from the inside. It also comes through instruction. Now, Instruction of the word and speaking the word to you is bringing data to you. It's bringing wisdom to you. It's bringing the facts to you. But it's what you hear on the inside by the spirit of God, the revelation of it. Is what makes you know it. Just hearing the data, you don't know it. Are you with me? Wisdom is wonderful. Wisdom is wonderful. But without understanding or revelation, it's off the foundation. And if it's off the foundation because there's no revelation, then when you work the data, you're only doing works of the flesh. Because it's not living. It's not life-giving from the Spirit. It's just flesh doing, well, that's what it says to do, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Works. Well, they did that in the Old Testament, didn't they? they? Didn't they do that with the law? They had to keep the law, but was it alive? Did it do anything for them? No. Was there any ability within that 
dead works to save them, to do anything for them? No. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Go ahead. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. It's written, he'll give his angels charge over you concerning you to bear you up lest you bear your foot against a rock. Okay, I think I'll jump. Works, dead. Works, dead. But that was data, wasn't it? Didn't the devil give him the data of the word? But he didn't act on the data, did he? No, because you don't act on data. It's dead until it comes alive on the inside of you. Then it becomes life-giving. This is a major part in the church of what the church has drifted away from. The church went back to data. And they walked off the foundation of Revelation. And now they're trying to live on data. Nothing's working. Amen. How far off? Five feet? 92 feet? 42 miles? 445 miles? 1,400 miles? 441 billion miles? How far off? Depends on how long it took to make a correction. And it's time to make a correction. If we've drifted off of the foundation of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, you need all three of them. You can't work on just one. can't work on just data. You can't work on just revelation. It's got to have application in your life. It's called doing. Not doing the data. Doing the revelation. If we've drifted off the foundation of the wisdom, the Word of God. Well, maybe we still have the Word of God. Well, have we drifted off the foundation of understanding, revelation of the Word of God? If we have the understanding and the revel- uh, if we have the wisdom and the understanding, have we drifted off the foundation of knowledge, how to apply the revelation? If we drifted off of any one of those, we need to get back. We need to put God back in first place in our life. He needs to be in first position in our life. Acknowledge him in all of your ways, and in all of your ways, your paths will be made straight. Well, we have to acknowledge him with the data, the revelation, and with the knowledge. Isn't that right? Okay. So what did we say about revelation? How hard is it to get wisdom? It's not hard at all. Not godly wisdom, because his word is wisdom. I, you're in America. Dear God, there's no underground churches. You're not sharing a page of the Bible because you're going to get killed if you get caught with one. You've got a Bible. You've got Bibles every place. Dear God, you've got them online. You've got them on TV. You've got them on your iPad, on your phone. You've got them every place. You've got one-minute Bibles. You've got women's Bibles. You've got men's Bibles. You've got, you know, children's Bibles. You've got, you got everything. We're not without data. We got all kinds of data. But how much have we taken of that data? With a persistent diligence to possess revelation. Because right there, for many, is where the gap happens. We get the data and we think we're good. You ain't good. You just started. It's like the thief on the cross that got saved. Welcome to step one. I'm glad he made it, but it was step one. You get to step one on your last breath. You know, we're glad you have the data. We're glad for this country that has an abundance, an abundance of the word of God. But that's step one. That's why we say over and over again, sitting in church won't change you any more than sitting in a, in a garage will make you a car. It won't change you into a car. Why sitting in a garage? Sitting in church won't change you unless you take that data and you do the persistent diligence of pressing into it 
to get revelation and then apply that into your life. Amen. Amen. Doesn't matter if it's in your family, in your finances, in your marriage, or in our nation. Foundations, extremely important. Boundaries, extremely important. Foundations of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Well, just bow your head for a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. All praise and glory and honor to you, Lord Jesus. All praise and glory and honor to you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Worship you, Jesus. Zovrese shivete shiavakuna brosoto evrevesi evetorova kadiaravakayavate Roma kayavate devesiavate Ora makayavate devesi. Holy Spirit, seal these things in us tonight and graft them into our heart, Father, like a branding iron. Father, just engraft them into us, Lord, that they'll be sealed on the inside of us that Holy Spirit you'll bring them back up within us that we'll continue to give ourselves to it that we'll speak it to ourselves. that we'll hear ourselves speak it that even as we hear ourselves speak it faith still comes by hearing when I hear myself speak it faith is coming more and father that by your spirit father you bring these things to our remembrance that as we meditate on them and ponder them, we'll eat them again, Father. And they'll take root stronger and stronger and stronger on the inside of us. That, Father, we don't want to drift. Not even one degree. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that shows us that we can stay on track and not give ourselves to those things. But that we'll stay on course with you. Walk in the things you'd have us to walk in. Walking in your ways and walking in your will. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father. It's a wonderful life that you've given to us. But we're not going to settle for anything less than what you've given to us by walking after and by and directed in the things of the flesh. But we're going to press in and be persistent, Father, in the data of your word that we receive. So that we can receive that understanding, that revelation, Father, comes alive on the inside of us. And through that wisdom and understanding, there will be application into our life. Father, it's good to know that 50 plus 50 equals 100. But if I can't make change out in the world, I do not understand the principles of what I heard and how it works. And I will lose out every single time. So help us, Holy Spirit. Our heart cries out for this area of revelation and understanding, application of your word into our life, that I could take your word and apply it into whatever area that revelation comes to me in. I don't need data on health to walk in health. I need revelation of your word that can be applied into that life, part of my life. So, Lord, I thank you. Thank you that you give it freely to us. Freely given to us, Father. Thank you, Father, that you know our makeup, that we are but dust. But still, you're willing to fill us and flood us with your very self, your very life, with all that you are and all that you have and all that you can do. And I thank you for it, Father. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory, 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 glory. Glory to our God. Glory to our King. Glory to the majesty on high. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that this is not limited just to those in this room, but those are on live stream, those are on podcast, those that are hearing it live or hearing it on archive, Father. Your spirit is as alive with them as it is with us. For we are all one body. We're all living by one spirit. And Father, I thank you that it's one word that we gather under. And under the banner of your word, Father, comes revelation and knowledge. We thank you for it and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word this evening, Father. I thank you that it's more than enough. Oh, that it has stirred up, Father. It has stirred us on the inside, Father, that we are looking forward to and desiring to press in further into you. Thank you for it, Lord. And Lord, as we come to you with our giving this evening, I thank you for the opportunity to sow our seed, that it comes back to us on every wave, that the more we sow, the more it comes back, that it is your principle. And the more that comes back, the more we have to sow. The cycle never stops, for you said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, it shall not cease. We thank you for it, bless you, praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.